Hello, I'm Sam Breakgear and welcome to Brains Bite Back. This is the podcast where we look at everything to do with technology and how it impacts our brains, our psychology and our society. If you're anything like me, getting to sleep every night is a struggle. However, according to research for many of us, this battle is made worse by technology and our love for our cell phones. For me, I know this issue is more internal. I find turning off my brain to be the hardest part. However, with that being said, I'm pretty sure we can all relate to a similar struggle of turning off our smartphones. Realistically, you probably use it as your alarm, right? The truth is we don't need to go Amish to get a good night's sleep. So to find out more, this episode is dedicated to technology and sleep. On this episode, you will learn how technology can positively and negatively impact your sleep, what is considered good sleep, and how you can create a better bedtime routine to help promote a good night's sleep. My guest joining me on the show today has more than 25 years experience treating insomnia and sleep difficulties. He has conducted research with police departments, fire departments, commercial airline pilots, and the general public to address serious safety and health issues associated with sleep difficulties. In addition to this, he is the developer of the Sleep Easy Method, which, through clinically proven treatment, demonstrated an 81.6% efficiency rate. Dr. Richard Shane. In addition to Dr. Shane, I am also joined by a medically trained functional medicine physician assistant turned health consultant who hosts one-on-ones with clients to help them reverse disease and optimize their well-being with a focus on enhancing patients' home environments while also focusing on mitigating the negative health effects of certain technologies, John Mitchell. And for our Tech This Out feature, where we look at tech predictions from the past, we have a video from 1966 of children sharing their predictions of the future in the year 2000. There are some great predictions in there with a real mixture of funny, dark, and well, some very optimistic predictions. So take a listen. How did you guys sleep last night out of curiosity? How are you guys feeling today? Feeling pretty good. I feel, I feel really good, um, but I do have a one-year-old, so she definitely uh, will keep me up at times. Damn, I was going to say, you guys being experts in sleep, um, I was wondering if you ever have bad night's sleeps or if you guys are just basically prepared or you know all the tricks, you know know what to do and you guys can fall asleep pretty rapidly. Yeah, I think there, there are certain times where you're going to, even if you know what to do, you're still going to have trouble. Especially with a one-year-old. <laughs> I certainly do have some challenging nights and part of what I've developed is, well then, how do you get to feel better the next day after you've had a challenging night and one of one of the keys is when we're tired it's also it's it's like a feeling of blocked energy not enough energy and we have tension in the body that blocks the flow of energy and there's a way to soften loosen and dissolve that tension so you feel more energy flowing in your body and you feel more energized Definitely. I can, I can relate to that. I'll, I'll need that considering um, I personally struggle a bit with my sleep ever since I was a kid. My mum always said that my brother was easy to put to sleep. He went to sleep like that, whereas I was a real pain. And that has not changed. So part of the reason why I'm very much looking forward to speaking to both of you is uh, to get a few tips and tricks on how to help change that. But um, I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm pretty alert. Ironically, I didn't get a great light's sleep last night, but hopefully that will all change following this conversation. <laughs> I've got some lofty goals. <laughs> but, um, I love it. If we want to get started, would you guys be able to describe yourselves and your background in this history? Just give a little bit of uh, introduction, who you are and what your experience is regarding sleep and technology for our listeners. John, would you be able to get started? And then Richard? Sure. 
So, uh, yeah, I'm John Mitchell. Um, I'm a functional medicine health consultant. I am initially trained as a physician assistant. I worked in the medical field for 10 years prior to transitioning to more of like a functional medicine realm. And what that is, is I help people resolve their things like fatigue, brain fog, their chronic health issues. And we do that by looking at the root cause of disease. So that means unpacking all the different things that can be contributing to the development of a disease state. And one of those big picture things is going to be your sleep and sleep quality. So that's where I always work with my clients about improving their sleep to make sure that they're getting an adequate amount, that it's restful sleep. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Richard? Okay. I, um, I've been a behavioral sleep therapist for 25 years, and I've developed this, a medication-free method called Sleep Easy. And I serve nationally as a sleep consultant, and I work with several large medical groups serving over 300,000 patients. And this method came out of my own insomnia, finding my way through it. And um, I was able to discover the neurological switches in the body that create sleep. And so this method is um, it's different from all others. There's no deep breathing, no relaxing your entire body, visualization, meditation, or hypnosis. And I guess the most important factor is you don't have to quiet your mind because that's the struggle that blocks most people. This is in the midst of Whatever's going on, there's this very simple way to get the body feeling of falling asleep, and mind gets quiet by itself. A couple of years ago, there was a study done with the Sleep Easy program, tested by commercial airline pilots, police and firefighters, and 81.6% um, of the participants reported improved sleep, and that was published in the Journal of Sleep Disorders and Therapy. That's awesome. I'm really looking forward to hearing about it because you you mentioned something that really resonated with me where you said about quieting the mind because that is definitely the thing that I struggle with the most when I'm like lying there and I'm just like, oh, brain, switch off, please. I'm done. <laughs> just, I just need some sleep. So I'm looking forward to hearing that. Can I, Sam, can I just add one piece? Yeah, go ahead. That's my interest in sleep. Then I've got this parallel interest in electromagnetic frequencies affecting sleep. I am... Uh, an integral member of a national team joining other national teams uh, calling for a stop in the proliferation of coming 5G until it's proven safe. So I have a deep interest in how do EMFs affect sleep. I love it. Awesome. I mean, before we do go ahead, I'm, I'm curious to know about this um, sleep easy method. Would you be able to describe it in its most basic terms for us, please, Richard? Sure. From years of inwardly navigating my own insomnia and learning how to sleep work, there are just several body sensations. Now, I'll mention them, but from just hearing it, somebody might go, wow, oh, how does that work? I'm just giving a you know 30-second overview. The actual app that's coming out enables you to do this. So instead of dealing with your mind, you relax your tongue, your throat, then with your breath, Almost everybody using breath or relaxation, they do this thing of either deep breathing or abdominal breathing. All of that's too much work for sleep. What I've discovered is there's a way you breathe when you're asleep. Well, that's obvious, but I've discovered a way to breathe that way while you're awake. And then your whole system goes, oh, that's sleep breathing. And it just starts pulling you towards sleep. And then the last body sensation is your heart. And your heart's connected with what's going on in your mind and emotions. The obvious evidence of that is you're anxious, heart beats more quickly, calm, heart beats more slowly. We just use that in reverse. There's a simple way to deeply calm the heart, automatically calms your mind. 
creates this feeling inside you. I call it like resting on a soft pillow inside you. It's a feeling of being protected and safe inside yourself. You rest in that without trying to get to sleep, and then sleep happens by itself. No, that makes sense. I, I definitely think that um, it's funny you should say about the the breathing factor. There is actually a comedian that I remember, and I saw this many years ago, and he said um, he was given a, a breathing coach, and he was like, a breathing coach? I don't need that. I'm an expert. I could do it in my sleep. But <laughs> obviously, there's a whole different level of breathing in your sleep. <laughs> Before we go ahead, I suppose this one of the main topics of this this podcast is to explore technology as well as psychology. And most so far up until now, we talked about sleeping, but one of the main themes of this episode will be how technology is affecting our sleep. So I suppose, uh, John, you, you briefly touched upon it, but we should probably clarify what we mean by technology. What I'm talking about when I say technology is like um, consumer tech, like your cell phones, using your laptops, or even kind of like smartwatches or anything which is like consumer tech, which you would use in your home or probably bedroom. I think of cell phones as probably the number one culprit for impacting our sleep when it comes to technology. And in the past eight years, I know smartphone ownership has gone up from 35% to 81% among US adults. So with reference to like empirical research, has this increase had a visible impact on our sleep or our sleep habits or quality of sleep? What would you say about this, John? Yeah, so there, there, there are definitely some good studies about this. There's nothing like that's fantastic out there. But in 2018, there was a study that looked at 815 young adults, um, who, and the ones who used their smartphone at nighttime, around bedtime, they they found that they had 48 minutes less of quality sleep compared to those who didn't use their smartphone around bedtime. So that is showing us that that use, whatever whatever it is, that's causing the sleep deprivation is affecting people's sleep. And you look at 50 minutes and say, well, that's not really that much time. But the difference between seven hours of sleep and six hours of sleep, if you compound that over the course of someone's lifetime, is significant. So yeah, there's and there's plenty more that look at the mechanism of how sleep is being affected by these technologies. So the big one is going to be your blue light that's going to be emitted from these devices like your cell phone and laptops. Um, and they will suppress melatonin production uh, within the pineal gland and the release. It can be up to 50%. Melatonin is obviously that sleep hormone that's going to help us get to sleep. So that so those are some pretty significant things that you know, we all need to be concerned and, and uh, cognizant about. Do you think that any type of cell phone use uh, before bed can affect your sleep in the sense that, for example, I personally use a screen layer which uh, takes out the the blue light and gives it a very dark orangey tone mm -hmm. and before i go to bed i like to play music for my speaker uh, as i go to sleep but i put my phone on airplane mode so that i don't get any notifications do you think that like doing the approach that i've taken can help or does it not matter is it just the fact that if your cell phone is on and it's near your bed it doesn't matter if it's like if you've got screen layout or airplane mode. You brought up a few good points in there. So I like that you put on airplane mode. So you decrease your exposure to electromagnetic frequencies, which Richard was talking about, which can disrupt, again, the release of melatonin from the pineal gland. If you do use a screen, the question is, is it blocking all blue-green wave frequencies or is it just mitigating them? Is it lessening them? So that's the question. If so, then yes, it's, it is going to help. But also the question is, what else is going on in your environment? Like, do you have any LED lights on? Is your TV on? Is there anything else that's producing that type of light in that blue-green spectrum? Any of that will, will affect your sleep quality. 
I also do think that depending on the use of what you're doing with your phone, is it something that's stimulating? So is it like social media? Are you watching the news about the, you know, the democratic debates? Like, is it something that's going to get you jacked up? Then you probably don't want to do stuff like that because it's going to stimulate you a little bit more, may even make you a little anxious. So it just depends what you are doing with your phone. But yeah, certainly using a screen that's going to limit the exposure of blue light. And if you're using something like relaxing music, I, I have no problem with that either. So just kind of depends what you're doing with your phone. Awesome. That's good to know. And um, another thing as well, one of the main reasons that I put my phone on airplane mode is to stop those notifications. I never really actually knew anything about what you, you mentioned of the, the what waves is it? <laughs> the so they're electromagnetic frequencies. And so these, these are pretty much, um, it goes all the way from like gamma rays all the way down to like low level electricity and everything in between. So light is within the electromagnetic spectrum. And then when we look at things like cell phones, um, they produce like radio frequencies that are on a different part of that spectrum. So we can't see it, feel it, hear it, but it's there and it does have physiological effects on the body. And that's something that we're starting to learn now because these technologies are so new. And I'm sure as, as Richard will tell you as well, these things um, can affect certain physiological processes in the body. And we do need to be aware of them and know how to mitigate that exposure. The initial reason why I put it on airplane mode I mean, this is another reason I'm definitely going to start putting on airplane mode way more earlier, but is for the notifications. And I know that when we get notifications, we kind of receive a dopamine hit as far as I understand. And um, fellas, correct me if I'm wrong, but that kind of like rush of dopamine before bed is not particularly a good thing or not inducive to helping sleep. Um, Richard, what chemicals do help or hinder our sleep? Do you know? So, uh, yes, Sam, it is true, at least during the day. When we get notifications, it's dopamine. It's like, ooh, that feels good. I think it's it's tapping into, ah, somebody loves me. At nighttime, getting a notification is actually a shock. And so it increases your cortisol and your adrenaline and another hormone called norepinephrine that's, you know, it's like shocking your body. So that's absolutely out of the realm of the pathway to sleep. And the chemicals that we want uh, secreted are serotonin, which, you know, just gets you to feel good, melatonin, which signals your brain to sleep. But Sam, could I just piggyback on the conversation you were just having with John? Certainly. Okay. So, you know, you're both talking about the blue light. I would guess mo many listeners would go, what are you guys talking about blue light? I'm looking at my computer and it's white light. Well, here's the fascinating thing. So, you know, for millions of years, we human animals got on the cycle of it's light, time to get up, it's dark, time to go to sleep. As John pointed out, that's governed by the pineal gland. And what scientists discovered just in the last, I think, 20 years is it's actually not just regular white light that affects the pineal gland. It's a certain narrow frequency of blue light within the spectrum of white light. Well, it just so happens that screen manufacturers, whether it's television or computer, they actually add that frequency of blue light because it makes the white look whiter and crisper. And so that's why the blue blocking screen exists because they're orange. You can see through to what you need to read or look at, but it's blocking that particular frequency of blue light. Do we know why it's blue light? Is there a specific evolutionary reason or is there like, why is it? I would have thought red because I thought red was like one of the most stimulating colors to the mind. Do, do we have any idea why it's blue light that has this effect? 
I actually have not even thought of that question. So would you please? We, I can talk to you about those me that mechanism though, if you'd like. So yeah, what the what what they and they found this again recently. This is like the late 1990s, early 2000s. That light uh, starts to it's absorbed by a chemical within the eye called melanopsin. We used to think that there used to be just rods and cones within the eye, but now we have these third types of photoreceptors within the eye called these intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglionic cells. And they will absorb this blue spectrum light, especially at 480 nanometers. And that will kind of convert this cascade that will lead to the suppression of melatonin. So we have now understood this mechanism. But again, it kind of I think you just have to go by. I always tell people you want to kind of follow the sun. The sun's going to tell you what to do throughout the day. So in the morning, you're going to get um, an increasing amount of that blue spectrum light, it's going to be stimulatory, it's going to wake you up, it's going to suppress melatonin. At nighttime, it's more on the red end of the spectrum. So it's going to be more um, relaxing, more calming, um, and you're going to be able to get to sleep easier. So I don't know specifically why that that bans, but it's, it's always coming back to being tied to the sun. That's where we get our information about our circadian biology. It's funny you should mention that because that reminds me of a, a podcast I listened to with Matthew Walker, I believe his name is, and I, I'm sure you guys probably know of him since uh, you guys are both experts in this field. Um, but he said, we do follow the sun, and it's kind of funny that we call midnight midnight because it is indeed the middle of the night. And yet for many of us, we see midnight as the time to go to bed, or at least I would say a time just after or around going to bed. And it seems that we have somewhat gone out of sync with the sun. So yeah, you're, you're definitely right in the sense that the sun is our natural dictator of our circadian rhythms. I guess whether or not it's because of the technology or maybe because we just have electricity or we can just stay up and be entertained all night long. We've kind of gone out of sync with that. But going back to a point which um, I think is probably a good thing to qualify is what do we consider good sleep like how do you qualify good sleep because i know that one thing that matthew walker did mention on the podcast i listened to was that you can drink a lot and then pass out and you could pass out for nine hours but you don't have good levels of sleep you don't go down to those um levels three or four or whatever it is so how do we qualify good sleep richard would you be able to answer that and then john actually the best answer i've heard over the years is, is very simple it's that if you feel rested in the morning and here's the kind of the litmus test is if you could be in a boring situation during the day and not nod out. So, so it's really it's the results from the sleep. Many people use sleep monitoring, sleep tracking devices, you know, to, to find out about their sleep. There is use in that. But there are a lot of people kind of in our crazed society, pressure to get everything right and, and be a type A person. There's actually a new diagnosis called orthosomnia. Ortho from the Greek meaning to get things perfect, like orthodontia. And it's people who are so concerned with getting the right sleep that it makes them anxious and hypervigilant and actually worsens their sleep. So I'd say don't be concerned with trying to measure your sleep. It's really how do you feel in the morning and during the day as a result of your sleep? The idea of not getting a good night's sleep definitely does stress me out i think to some extent and therefore it exacerbates the problem and it's one of those things which is kind of irritating since it's a vicious cycle 
Yeah, I was going to ask as well, you kind of touched on it then, but people are using technology to track their sleep. And of course, um, John, you mentioned it beforehand saying that music can be used to help aid sleep. Can you both give examples of how technology can be used to directly promote a healthy night's sleep? John, would you be able to start? Yeah. So typically I don't like a ton of technology when we're talking about getting to bed there. There are a few devices that you can do that can help promote some sleep. So one would be, I like binaural beats. So these are certain, there are sounds within certain frequencies that can kind of sync up with the brain and put you in a certain state. So there's an app called Brainwave Studio that will kind of do these binaural beats. And I think those can be useful to kind of help you get into that sleep mode. Um, and then again, anything that's going to decrease the blue light exposure. So on your phone, putting on nighttime mode, if you have like flux on your laptops, things like that, or just blue light blocking glasses, um, those are the main things. But in general, you want to try and limit your exposure technology a few hours before bed. Awesome. Richard, do you have anything to add? So the the use usefulness of technology to help you sleep there's a wide variety of sleep programs out there some uh, cognitive behavioral therapy sleep training programs those are useful uh you know people do find music and binaural beats useful and i must admit my bias my sleep easy method is coming out as an app this fall and i think that'll be very useful, but we're very sensitive. We don't want people connected to Wi-Fi or the cell towers while sleeping. So put it on airplane mode and you get to download this. So you're using your phone as an audio player, not as a cell phone. And that can be useful. When did you say that was coming out? Uh, sometime this fall. And I'll, I'll mention towards the end how to find out about this. But Sam, could I just mention one other fascinating thing about EMFs? and melatonin certainly so john and i have talked about the blue light there's a whole other aspect so first just to review the pineal gland responds to light light comes on and the pineal gland says oh stop melatonin production hey it's time to wake up well there have been numerous studies and what, what i'm going to mention let me say i've also written in a pdf that i'll make freely available to your listeners. So listeners, you don't need to keep track of what I'm about to say, but it's, I find it fascinating. They've done studies with people in environments that emit EMFs that interfere with sleep. And the leading theory is that your pineal gland senses the EMFs going through your body and actually senses those as light. And that's how EMFs get the pineal gland to stop production of melatonin because the pineal gland thinks that that is light. I think that is fascinating. I agree. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to reading that PDF when you do send it over. I'll hopefully be able to make a list of tricks and tactics so that uh, my nightly battles with sleep can, um, well, be no more. <laughs> one question I did want to ask you guys, um, this is the last one that I really have planned for now is um, with respect to technology, what do you say is an ideal bedtime routine to help promote a good night's sleep? John, would you be able to answer that and Richard? Right, I think everyone's gonna be a little bit different just depending on their situation, but in general, limiting your technology a few hours before bed. So if you are gonna be on your phone, making sure again that you're not using social media or watching the news, things that are gonna get you excited or anxious, 
turn off your notifications, use the blue light blocking screens, or I like my clients to use these blue light blocking glasses because you're going to get light just from other sources within your home. Um, making sure that you turn your Wi-Fi off. Again, that's another source of certain bands of electromagnetic fields. So turn Wi-Fi off or put it on. You can have like an automatic timer so you don't have to worry about it. Um, same thing with your cell phone. Put it on airplane mode. I like to keep it outside of the bedroom if possible. For some parents, they don't like doing that. But if you can, that would be great. Again, Richard's app sounds great when that comes out. Uh, if you like binaural beats, whatever it is, if you're going to use those things, that's totally fine. But usually it's limiting your technology. Oh, and dropping your temperature in your home is really big. That actually is a big stimulatory response for sleep. We often see a drop in body temperature just normally throughout the night. So dropping temperature in your house will actually help set that tone and get your body to get ready for sleep. Awesome. Richard? So first, John, I, I want to... I'm excited that you brought up about turning the Wi-Fi off. Most people don't know that. So when we talk about electromagnetic frequencies, yeah, the most obvious source is cell phones, but Wi-Fi beaming throughout your house is a very strong source of EMFs. So absolutely turn it off. And I just want to comment, when we talk about these ideas, this may not be for the general population, but we're talking about people that they feel or even suspect that devices are interfering with their sleep. We're talking to you folks. And you know, if you think turning off your Wi-Fi is an odd idea, what John and I say is just try it, experiment for a week and find out the effects of that. Now, other source, other lesser realized sources of EMFs, this one's gonna sound odd, but whatever I say, just go online and do the research yourself. You don't have to believe me that electric clocks, electric alarm clocks produce strong magnetic fields. And research has shown that exposure to high magnetic fields can disturb sleep. So get rid of your electric clock and get a battery operated one. Another one that's really helpful is people use electric blankets, do not use an electric blanket. Get rid of it. Use woolen blankets instead. And the same with a waterbed that has an electric heater. One other one, that, and these are all going to be in the PDF that I make available to your listeners, is make sure the area around your bed and the other side of the wall that your bed is next to is free of motorized equipment like and electrical devices like a refrigerator, freezer, uh, electric meter, entertainment center, baseboard heating, because the magnetic fields from those can interfere with your sleep. And I'll, I'll just mention a couple more that most people don't know about. I, I find them fascinating. I just learned this one a couple weeks ago. An article in Scientific American showed that box springs act like an antenna that amplifies the intensity of FM and TV radiation. So get rid of your box spring. And then just, just one more that it's actually one of my favorites because it made such a difference for me. Shut off the, the circuit breaker that goes to your bedroom and just reduce the electrical signals in your bedroom. And if people really want to get into it, which I love and my clients love, is shut off all the circuit breakers except the ones for your refrigerator and your home heater. That sounds extreme, but I suppose at the same time, like you said, if it works, I think that um, a lot of sleep can be tracked back to psychology. So I'm sure that there's also some, to some extent, even a placebo effect of believing like, right, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this full out. And um, you have the the scientifically proven effects and also the, the potential effect of you truly believing it's going to work and it, it should work. And I can honestly say that uh, getting a bad night's sleep, no, there's nothing worse. So I, I'd definitely be willing to try whatever it takes to, to counteract that. Um, gentlemen, 
this has been fantastic and i gotta say i've learned an awful lot if people do want to follow you or learn more about your work how can they contact you do you have social media or do you have a website if you could let them know john yeah so i'm on facebook instagram linkedin it's john mitchell pa it's j-o-n not without an h and then website same thing john mitchell pa.com fantastic and richard uh yes my um it's they can reach me by www.sleepeasymethod that's one word sleepeasymethod.com and there's a space on the website where you can put in your contact info and we will inform you as soon as the Sleep Easy app launches this fall. Also at the website, sleepeasymethod.com, will be this free PDF that's entitled Reducing EMFs in Your Life, Home, and Bedroom to Make Your Bedroom a Sleep Sanctuary. Lots of great tips in there. It sounds like it's going to be my new Bible. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, I think um, I'm going to put put this information to use thank you sam yeah john great meeting you in this way yeah and sam yes thank you for the opportunity what the tech i know usually for this feature we focus on predictions from tech experts or celebrities but when i found this video it was too good and i had to share it so here we go well in the year 2000 um i think i'll probably be the spaceship to the moon dictating robots to robots or else i may be I know, having a, in charge of a robot court, judging some robots, or I may be at the funeral of a computer, or if something's gone wrong with their nuclear bombs, I may be sort of coming back from hunting in a cave. Oh, I think um, all these atomic bombs will be dropping around the place. And it was, one will get near the center, because it will sort of make a huge, great big crater. And the world will just melt, and the world will become one vast atomic explosion, and it will become like a supernova, stars. Some mad will get the atomic bomb and um, just blow the world into oblivion. There's nothing we can do to stop it. The more people who get bombs, the more well, somebody's going to use it one day. I have to say, I like the first kid's comment regarding the prevalence of robots. If anything, he sounds like Elon Musk's long-lost British older brother. But these predictions overall are pretty interesting, given our discussion with MIT professor Bernard Trout on a previous episode. He said that when he was younger, the main fear on everyone's mind was the possibility of nuclear war. And this has not come to fruition, and our fear has died out, replaced by a fear of AI ending the world. However, that doesn't mean that the threat of AI wasn't on the minds of these children. I don't think there is going to be atomic warfare, but I think there is going to be all this automation. People are going to be out of work and a great population. I think something has to be done about it. I, that's, if I wasn't a biologist, that's what I'd like to do, um, to do something about the, the uh, population problem. Try and, try and sort of um, temper it somehow. I don't know how. First of all, those computers are taking over now. Computers and automation. And in the year 2000, there just won't, won't be enough jobs to go around. And the only jobs there will be will pe be for people with high HQ, you know, high IQ who can work computers and such things. And other people are just not going to have jobs. There just aren't going to be jobs for them to have. Now, these kids nailed it. 
AI automation taking over jobs has been a serious concern to us and a major topic on this show, as we dedicated a full hour to it on our previous show, A World With No Jobs. It has also become a key talking point for US presidential candidate Andrew Yang, who strongly believes job loss to AI automation largely contributed to Trump's victory in 2016. So yes, it is an issue we're dealing with. Spot on, kids. Um, people will be regarded more as statistics and as actual people. I'm sure I could spend all day picking this one apart, as there are many examples of how we live as statistics today instead of people. I think we have data to thank for that. Animals as they have here, uh, sheep and cows and livestock, but they will be kept in batteries. Uh, they won't be allowed to graze on pastures. They'll be kept in buildings altogether, all in one big building and artificially reared so they'll yield a larger, be bigger and give more food. Of all the predictions made, I think this one stands out the most. What he is essentially talking about is the use of battery farms and even perhaps hormones to increase food production. I did some research and according to Pace University's online library, factory farming poultry started in the late 1920s. However, it wasn't until the 1970s that pig farmers shifted towards a mass production model and utilized factory farming methods. Cow farmers shortly followed suit and today roughly 94% of all animals farmed for human consumption are raised in factory farms. Considering this change really only occurred in the 70s, that's a pretty impressive prediction for a kid in 1966. The black people, you know, won't be sort of separate. They'll be all mixed in with white people. And, you know, the poor people and rich people will become the same. Well, they will be poor and rich, but they won't really look down on each other. Of all the predictions made, I think this is the most optimistic. Sadly, we still have racism, and sadly, According to the Harvard Gazette, the divide between rich and poor is getting bigger. Nonetheless, with all the predictions of death by nuclear war, AI dominance and animal brutality, it's refreshing to hear someone with such optimism. I'm not looking forward to living in that year, about 50 years' time. I mean, the world seems to be in such a terrible state now, let alone 50 years' time. 50 years on was 2016, and yes, 2016 will probably go down as one of the most chaotic and bizarre years in recent history. However, personally, I don't think it was that bad of a year. I'm happy to have lived for it, and I would say that I would much rather be alive today in 2019 rather than 1966. We've come a long way. Not all of it is good, but we have made some great strides forward. For example, according to a recent article by Vox titled 23 Charts and Maps that show the world is getting much, much better, we have achieved a huge decline in the share of the world's population living on less than $1.90 a day, from nearly 35% in 1987 to under 11% in 2013. They also state the rate of decline of child labor, approximately a 40% reduction from 2000 to 2016, is non-trivial and worth celebrating. And female and male life expectancy both increased by more than six years between 1990 and 2016. And these gains were the biggest in poor countries in Africa and Asia. So despite the deeply entrenched pessimism in our predictions throughout time, and even on this show for that matter, we have the potential to achieve great things and we are achieving great things. And who knows, maybe in 50 years time, someone will be laughing about these predictions made on this show in some form of media that doesn't currently exist in our time. But we'll just have to wait and see. 
That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can stay up to date with our show by going to the Sociable homepage, that's sociable.co, scrolling down and subscribing to the Sociable newsletter. You just add your name and your email and you'll constantly stay up to date. We have new shows coming out every Monday, so stay tuned. You can follow us on Spotify to stay up to date or just keep an eye on the Sociable website. Thanks and have a wonderful day. Thank you.